The Omnivore's Dilemma by Michael Pollan. One sentence summary. The Omnivore's Dilemma explains the paradox of food choices we face today. How the Industrial Revolution changed the way we eat and see food today, and which food choices are the most ethical, sustainable, and environmentally friendly. My favorite quote from the author is, Don't eat anything your great-grandmother wouldn't recognize as food. Michael Pollan. What should you have for dinner? Simple question, right? At least it was, until a few thousand and even a few hundred years ago. You ate what was available during that season, sold by the farmer that day. But today, everything is available, all the time, wherever you are. So what do you eat to stay healthy, make economic choices, not hurt the environment, and do the right thing? Michael Pollan helps you answer this now so complicated question in his 2006 book, named one of the five best nonfiction books of the year by the New York Times. Here are three lessons you can learn from it. 1. Corn is the root of the problem. 2. Organic often doesn't mean what you think it does. 3. Buy local to win on every level. Want to improve your food choices? Here we go. The Omnivore's Dilemma, Lesson 1. It all started with corn. This answers the question, when did our food culture change more towards junk food? In theory, corn is a great plant. It's highly adaptable, very resistant, and grows in large quantities fast. When the Europeans first landed in the United States and discovered it, it quickly became a household name for farmers. But you can overdo even the best thing. Technology has advanced so far that we can now alter plants at the genetic level, and the corn industrial farmers grow now has little to do with its ancestor. In 1920, a farmer could comfortably produce 20 bushels of corn per acre. That figure has shot to 180 today, a 9x increase. Ten years ago, it cost a farmer $2.50 to produce a bushel. But due to the already flooded market, buyers only wanted to pay $1.45. When the government agreed to match the difference and thus gave the farmers an artificial profit for producing corn, it ruined the supply and demand cycle of corn. Farmers can make a ton of money from producing corn and continue to grow more and more, even though the market's demand has long been saturated. The excess corn is what lands in your food in the form of high fructose corn syrup and other highly processed derivatives, and is fed to all kinds of animals who aren't natural corn eaters, like cows, chicken, and even carnivores like salmon. The Omnivore's Dilemma Lesson 2 Organic is not as clean as you think it is. This answers the question, is organically labeled food better than other food? Alright, alright, maybe you knew this one already. At the very least, I'm sure you were aware that the whole food, the whole processed food industry is not the greenest choice you can make. But what about organic food? Originally started as a counter-movement to processed and industrialized food, due to its popularity, organic food as a label has been swept up by the processed food lobby. Plenty of the small farms that came from the organic movement had to either let go of some of their standards in order to supply the growing demand for organic food, or go out of business. As organic businesses grew, standards were lowered, and now food companies can cut corners and still get away with labels like organic and free range. For example, would you call 20,000 chickens in a shed with a two-week mini-vacation in the tiny backyard free range? Well, the food industry would.
And what the hell is organic high fructose corn syrup? That stuff is one of the most artificial things ever produced. But what do you do then? The Omniverse Dilemma Lesson 3 If you buy locally, you win on all levels. This answers the question, what's the best source to get your food from? Two words, buy locally. Get your food from small local farms and everyone will win, including you. Here are several reasons why. Due to the reduction in distance that your food travels until it eventually lands on your plate, less fuel and resources are used, making this the environmentally friendlier alternative. Economically, you put money into the hands of the right people, small businesses. As long as we give the majority of our money to big corporations, they'll be the ones in charge. The quality of your food is increased because it's grown in according to the season and natural circumstances on site, which makes pesticides and other artificial support unnecessary. Ethically, this is a no-brainer and, and it also holds your farmer, butcher and baker accountable. When they know you're passing by their store every day, they're much less likely to mistreat animals or plants because of their personal relationship with you. So start by skipping the supermarket once in a while and look at the options that are right in front of you. My personal takeaways from the Omnivore's Dilemma for 2017. What I like about this book is that it doesn't come with specific diet advice, so it's not... I know or I'm pretty confident that Michael Pollan eats about 90% plant-based, so he eats a lot of plants, very vegetarian-oriented, not, I think, very little meat. Um, <clears throat> but with this book, what he tries to do is up the food quality in general. So he's not telling you don't eat this or just eat that or ethical choices or people eat plants and blah, blah, blah. So he's not making any diet suggestions, but he's just telling us what we can all do to increase the quality and ethical environmental impact and so on um, of the food we eat in general, no matter what we choose to eat. So that's the first thing I like about this book. Um, the second thing uh, I would like to point out is that uh, I'm not sure about the exact figure, but I think, at least in Germany, Germans spend about 10% of their income on food. And if you think about it, that's very little. I mean, food is one of the two or three biggest components of our health and lives and keeping us alive and helping us survive and so on. And we only spend 10% of our money on it. So obviously rent is a big chunk for most people. So so having a place to stay, okay, I, I get that, I accept that. But then think about where most of your money goes. Does it maybe go into clothes or entertainment or fun activities with your friends? Or do you spend it on partying and other things like that? So if you think about it, 10% or even if where you live you spend 15 or maybe 20% of your income on food, that's not really that much, considering you eat three times a day, and that's the kind of stuff that makes you, well, be able to be alive. So, I would say, I recommend you look at how much you spend on food, and think if it might be worth increasing that percentage. Because what you do then, or what you can do then, is do the buy local thing, which Michael Pollan suggests, which, for example, in Mannheim, I have done, there was a, a farmer's a market, sort of, where farmers and different bakers and so on butchers would come and present their stuff it was twice or three times three times a week 
And every time I went there with my roommate and we bought a lot of stuff there. So we had to buy less from the supermarket, less from the grocery store. And we always had great food. We spent a little more on it, but it was fresh. Um, it tasted awesome. And it felt just good to be spending money on those people. So that I highly recommend along with maybe a couple very simple rules. For example, I never eat at McDonald's. Well, it's not true. I ate at McDonald's like twice uh, in the, within the last, I don't know, six months or so uh, or 12 months. But before that, I didn't eat at McDonald's for three or four years. So general, in general, my rule is don't eat at McDonald's. So to just take away from some places you know are not producing organic or, or ethical food and just make a standard rule to usually not go there or very rarely. And um, I think that's some simple steps that we can all take to help improve what kind of food lands on our tables and those of others.